Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to Move Your Mind. My name's Nick Brax, and this is a podcast where we have real conversations with real people and give real advice. On today's episode, I want to welcome Hugh Sheridan. Hugh is an Australian actor, musician, and television presenter who is known for his role as Ben Rafter in the television series Packed to the Rafters. Hugh is a four-time Logie Award winner. This was one of the first recorded episodes of Movie Mind, and we just want to let you know that the team are working incredibly hard behind the scenes to improve audio quality and create the best possible experience for each and every one of you. All right, Hugh. So thank you so much, mate, for coming and talking to me for my new podcast, Move Your Mind. I've known you for, it's probably close to 10 years now, and we seem to bump into each other every two to three years, uh, if not longer gaps, but I really appreciate you coming on. And um, I guess to start with, can you just give me a bit of a a quick background on yourself and, you know, what you do? Uh, Well, I... um... I, uh, I'm from Adelaide. I grew up there till I was 16 and then I moved to Melbourne to study at the Australian Ballet School. Uh, left home then and then uh, when I was 18 I auditioned for NIDA and uh, got in there and went and studied acting at NIDA. Uh, I've always sung so I've always worked as a singer as well. Uh, done a, ended up graduating and I've been lucky enough to sort of be employed pretty solidly um, Gosh, obviously I started on Packed to the Rafters and then uh, I've been very lucky. I uh, have a band, I do live performances. I've done lots of stage shows as well. Last year I did Hair at Sydney Opera House. So I've, I've had a very lucky career, but um, I'm a fairly spiritual person. I've also struggled lots with uh, my own mental health sort of challenges here and there. And so I'm number six of seven children. And uh, my family, we're very tight and I'm very lucky to have them. And uh, so that's pretty much me in a nutshell. And I'm glad to be here. Yeah, thank you, mate. And um, it is, it's hard to keep up with all the different things you do. And it's also hard to keep up with where you are in the world normally. Uh, now now it's not so hard right now. <laughs> but um, I guess your, your first, you know, major role was on Pack to the Rafters. Can, you know, what, how, how was that experience and sort of, did you feel like that was really the beginning of where you've led to now? Or that, did that really kick things off for you? Yeah, I mean, of course, it was um, statistically, it's Packs the Rafters was the most um, successful show in history of any country per capita in that sort of in wow. One in three people watched the show. So uh, we actually just did a reboot of the show, uh, which got stopped for COVID, unfortunately. We'd shot about four episodes before um, we had to shut down. But we'll pick it back up again. And it's now been bought by Amazon. And uh, Amazon are planning to uh, release it to 220 countries. So 
everyone can enjoy the Rafter family, which is exciting. I didn't know it was on that level. That's pretty pretty impressive. So I guess like you've had COVID's put a, a couple of things on hold, but um, it's also a, a good thing mentally to be able to think, well, that's something to look forward to. You're finding that's helping knowing that I've got these things that, you know, I can have this downtime right now, but I can have those mental goals of this is coming up. Because I think it's that can be difficult when we don't have a, you know, something to look forward to, which is probably something we can go into later, but yeah. I think one of the things that um, when I talk to people that are young sort of aspiring entertainers or things like that, I always say, um, you know, whatever you think that you can't do, you just have to, you have to learn it, you know, or you have, because the more you know, the more chance you're going to have of being employed. So like, Yep. So I uh, did like a one-man show on uh, Anthony Newley and I did it at this festival in Adelaide and then it got picked up and uh, we did it at the Opera House and then I took it to New York or in other downtimes I created a band called the California Crooners Club and we've been really successful in the States, in Los Angeles and I'm only saying it's like I, I have to continuously sort of be an inventor and find creative ways to keep work going to ensure that I get to keep doing what I love to do, which is to entertain people because that's what brings me the most joy. So, you know, I think that's often people say things like, you know, it's hard to keep up and you've got so much going on, but it's sort of like if work stops, then you just need to go, well, what can I do now? How can I, what haven't I tried? What, what can't I do? If I go and I speak at Whopper or NIDA or even at the Australian Ballet School, I often ask the students uh, who can sing and maybe a couple of people put their hands up and I say, well, everyone that didn't put your hand up, you have to go and learn because I do believe that everyone can learn how to sing. I don't think it's mm. that you're, you either can do or you can't. I know that you can. I don't think I was someone that was a good singer when I was a kid. Everyone used to tell me to shut up in my family. But I just <laughs> singing and singing and singing and eventually you just get better at it. And uh, it's, you know, that's the secret, I think, you know, is, uh, is just to keep going. But it is hard and it's tough, but you just have to keep challenging yourself. Absolutely. I mean, you can't, you know, like you're saying, you can't be sitting there waiting for the phone to ring or getting uh, despondent because you've had one audition in, you know, a six-month period. It's so up and down. You're a great example of that yourself, and I've always admired that about you because I'm, you know, I have known you for a long time. We did meet years and years ago when we were both doing ambassador work for Maya. That's when we first started. And uh, I remember then we were both sort of, you know, I never, ever saw myself as uh, anyone that would ever do, say, modelling. Um, I was a really pimply kid at school. I had acne. I had no friends. I was, you know, just very low self-esteem. I pro probably very depressed, really, looking back. But, you know, I, I just kept going and going and sort of got through it, and I knew what I wanted to do, and I found things that made me happy, and I stuck with it. And then to one day be asked to to model I was like oh my goodness like it I just couldn't believe it I was just so happy for my younger self not that modeling ever means anything or anything like that but I know that to the uh, sad insecure 13 year old version of myself 
that was a nice compliment. And uh, I was lucky enough to meet you on the job. And then you, you just, you've done so well in creating, recreating yourself. It's about recreating yourself and taking opportunities, what you did with uh, the underwear range and then, uh, and even what you're doing now with these podcasts and the way that you, you're challenging and tackling and talking about mental health. I really admire it. And, uh, and so I guess if the, if, you know, that's a, it's a great message to get across is that uh, I think part of overcoming uh, that feeling of, oh, my goodness, what's coming up next? What, how am I going to cope? How am I going to do this? Is by saying people might look from a distance and think, wow, it's so easy for them or that sort of thing. And, it, and it's not. It's not easy. But it you can create a habit within your own mind of going, okay, well, I feel a bit of fear and worry about tomorrow, but I've already created the habit of going, how am I going to fix this? What can I Absolutely. do? Absolutely. Yeah, I love that. And I mean, that, that message, you know, applies everywhere. It applies to, you know, the acting industry, uh, entertainment industry, everyday life. And, you know, I appreciate what you said before, but the, the same thing for, for, for me, it's really been, you know, my dream is, and I'm a latecomer to it. I, my dream is to have an acting career and I've had very few credits, but I'm working on it. But, you know, from my experience so far, um, and I remember, but, and it's like what, yeah. And it's like what, you know, you were telling me like what you just said then. And last time we spoke, Really, um, the way I try and look at it is what you're talking about. What can I do on a practical sense? Okay, the acting's not happening. Okay, I've done my auditions. I'm doing that. What else can I do outside of that? How can I build my business, create more financial security for myself? I feel like that's giving you more freedom to then be creative and explore and not not have to have, you know, that anxiety and desperation about I need to, you know, land this thing right now because I, I feel like that is very common and sort of what I was going to ask you next. Yeah. Do you see? Yeah. It'll always, that's, it's a trick and it's a, it's a trick that we always have to grapple with. It's a, it's a mind game that we play with ourselves. And, um, you know, I remember when I was at NIDA, it sounds like someone might've just started to mow the lawn. I know they've stopped the leaf blower. <laughs> there you go. I remember when I was at NIDA, I had this, one of the teachers who was the head of my course was just, he just hated me. And um, it was fine. I didn't care. And one day he said in front of the whole class, he said, uh, Hugh, you'll never work on film or television. Wow. And I was like, but I actually didn't care because I really just wanted to work on theatre, in theatre anyway. That's what I felt like I was trained for. Right thing and I could act and I'd studied dancing. So I thought that's all right. I'll just work in theater. And I didn't really have any doubt that I wouldn't be able to achieve that. So getting back to the rafters was kind of a fluke, but it was also a real good fuck you because absolutely, uh, my, whole, my whole class auditioned for fact to the rafters. We all did every, every single one of us auditioned for it. And wow. I managed to land this role, which was a, a beautiful character that I loved. And um, I, I was actually talking to the casting director just last night and Faye, and uh, we were talking about that moment um, when I went in and did the audition. And, and she said, from the minute you walked in, you had the role. Because she said, as soon as you played the character, you, you understood that there was a certain 
um, sensitivity that, that that character needed, that he couldn't be uh, just too too much of this Aussie blokey or bogan or anything like that, which is what a lot of people were coming in and doing. But he also just had to, he really, really cared about his family. He really loved mm. his mother. He really, he had to have a lot of heart. And we were talking about that. And um, so when I look back in a way, not that I do believe that everything happens for a reason and nothing happens by chance, but really me landing that role, I wasn't something that I expected and it wasn't something that I was planning for. It wasn't something that I strived for. It just happened and it happened at the right time. And um, like I said, I do believe everything happens for a reason, but in many ways I'm sort of like, you know, it just was a bit of a fluke really. Yeah, well, yeah, and not not a fluke in the sense from what you said. You know, you you put your best foot forward. You had a really good understanding of the character and everything else. But you know what you said before as well. This it, it, that's what really uh, pisses me off. And I think you know someone like yourself. You're resilient. You had belief in yourself. Um, I've had so many people in every aspect of my life tell me you can't do this. You're not going to do that. And I stuck at it, and it happened. But I, 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 you know, it's sad to think how many careers uh, didn't even have the chance of happening because people have been told, no, you can't do this, you're not good enough, or whatever it is. It, you know, it's it's really bad, and and it's that societal thing, that tall poppy sort of thing of um, trying to put people down or put people in a basket. And the reality is, as you were saying before, with like singing, anyone can do anything if they want to really commit to it and give it a shot. But we get told we can't. It's very hard. Um... One of the, uh, it's, it's so interesting, uh, this whole COVID experience and everything that sort of um, happened for me has been, I mean, in many ways, I know that a lot of people have been struggling and, and I have certainly, you know, there are days when I've woken up and I've just felt um, immensely sad you know and I couldn't even work out why because in all honesty I feel as though my overall experience of uh, of this sort of lockdown has actually been very positive but I do believe in a collective consciousness and I do believe that um, there's an energetic awareness amongst all of us and some of us are more sensitive, I guess, than others or, you know, but I, I feel like a lot of people are becoming sort of aware of that. And I've got a lot of friends that I've spoken to that have been struggling and I, maybe I take on some of their emotions sometimes and, or even feel guilty for, for actually enjoying the fact that uh, being someone that was, you know, I was working on Pack to the Rafters in, Sydney, I was working on five bedrooms in Melbourne and I was doing live shows in Adelaide from January right through to March. Mm. And I just finished my last live show in Adelaide. So I was, I was on like four or five, well, I mean, you couldn't even do five. I was on a minimum of six flights a week because I was going between each state every week. Sometimes it was more like eight because I would have to shoot in uh, Melbourne and then fly to Sydney and shoot there and, and sometimes fly back on the same day to shoot again and then fly to Adelaide. And it was just, it was a real <laughs> nightmare. And I, and I kept 
thinking, well, you, you brought this upon yourself. You know, this is what you wanted. Because in my head, I thought, I'm going to go to Australia and I'm going to achieve all this work and it's going to be so great and then I can have a break. And uh, by the end of it, I was starting to get very tired. Yeah. And, um, and a little bit over the flying, but I remained very grateful for the work. I really did. You know, I kept the, every time I wanted to complain about the, 4.30 a.m. wake-up calls. I remember checking into a hotel in St. Kilda and it was 1.30 a.m. And I said to the people at the reception who I'd started to know very well because I was in and out all the time, I said, can I have a wake-up call? And they said, what time? And I said, 4.30 a.m. And the guy looked at me and he said, oh, my goodness. And I uh, <laughs> woke up. I said, it's fine. I'm used to it. I, you know, I felt like I'd just put my head on the pillow and the alarm went off and I went downstairs and he handed me a coffee that he'd made. And he said, there were no coffee shops open yet. But he said, I made you this. And I nearly burst into tears just because it was such a small act of kindness. But it meant so much to me. And I kept thinking, I've got so much to be grateful for. There is no need to complain. People have suffered far worse than this. There are a lot of people without work. Some, you know, our ancestors went to war for crying out loud. I shouldn't yeah. be complaining about getting on planes and going and working and doing all this stuff. So I, I, I do, I trust me, I'm not complaining about the work or the opportunities, but I did feel from time to time very tired and that maybe I, I committed myself. Um, I can imagine. When everything stopped, um, I, I had had an idea about four years ago to write a film about uh, my time when I was at the Australian Ballet School when I moved to, to Melbourne when I was 16. Shortly after I arrived, uh, my grandmother died and I went into a, a depression. And it was the Sorry first to hear, mate. Yeah. I suffered depression and it was, and it was a real challenge because I was only 16. I was living away from home and the person that I lived with was crazy. She used to count how many cornflakes I could have. She was... I ended up wow. having to run away in the middle of the night. It was, it was really insane. And I always thought, um, and also back then, that was in 2003, the teachers were a lot tougher than I think they can get away with being now. You know, like a teacher could never say to a student like mine did at night, oh, you will never work in TV or film. And his reason for it was he said, you don't have the right face for it. Uh, but a teacher, I don't think you get away with saying it these days. But back then they could. And um, I thought that would be a really great movie to write. And anyway, so I sat down and I started to write this movie and I finished it actually. It sort of poured out of me in two weeks and I've never really written uh, or done any, like I've never written a film before, certainly. I've read a lot of scripts. But um, I just kept going with it and I was staying up late and writing and writing and writing and... Uh, the film is about mental health. That's mm. the whole thing. And uh, it's been picked up by Bronte Pictures. I only found out two days ago and they're financing it and they want to make it next year uh, in 2021. So that was a massive bonus for me, but it was also a huge release. And there were many times when I was writing the movie that I would just be typing and sobbing because... Not out of sadness. I mean, I was sad because I was reliving a lot of these 
emotions and I kept thinking, you know, uh, someone said to me, what would you say to your 16 year old self if you could say something to Hugh now when you were 16? And I said, I would have just, I would just give him a big hug. Mm. And, and at the start of the film, you know, without giving away anything, I will tell you, it says, uh, this film is dedicated to your 16 year old self and to any young person watching, you are okay. You are enough. The best is yet to come. Trust me, because I, love that. I think um, it's, it's so important, uh, especially at a time like now, to remind each other that it's, it's actually okay to be alone with your thoughts. You don't have to be scared of them. Sometimes they're not great, but there are so many ways to get through it. And I think one of the yep. best one of the best ways to sort of heal yourself is to go back into the past and work out where, where people did, did actually let you down, whether they're teachers or parents or lovers or friends or whatever, sort of, you know, I guess in the best way that you can see that there was probably some deeper issue with them and forgive them. And also just to, be proud and congratulate yourself for getting through it. Absolutely, mate. No, thank you for sharing that. And uh, so many amazing points you're making in everything you're saying here. Um, and congratulations on the film as well. And I love the fact that you've, you know, been able to also put this time to, you know, um, to use and be productive. And it's um, a message for everyone of, you know, yes, things are not great. Yes, there's so many things we can't control, but... Uh, if we just sit and wallow in that, it's not going to have any benefit for anyone and it's going to lead to... activity as well. Like, you know, yeah. my friends who are complaining about work and stuff that have children. Yeah. I'll see them, you know, really busy CEOs and stuff and they're at home and they're cooking and they're spending so much time with their kids and I'm like, I actually secretly have this feeling that people might look back in a couple of years time and think that this might've been one of the greatest moments of their life, but actually miss it a bit. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I think they'll miss it a lot. And I think my mum was saying that the other day, actually. Yeah. Um, the same point. If you turn off the news and you stop listening to all the fear breeding and, uh, you know, all there is so much fear in the news. There is so much negativity and so much to be scared of and so much suspicion and conspiracy and all this stuff floating around. And, and I just go, the, the fastest way to lower your immune system is fear. It really, Absolutely. fear and guilt shut down your body so fast. They, mm -hmm. they really, they can really play with your mind, with your heart, with, with everything. Um, you know, and, and to, if you can block that out, I mean, that, that, that is, I mean, I wish, I wish they were like promoting more of the positive stories about families that are just actually having to spend so much time together, get to know each other. A friend of mine exactly. was in quarantine and she, uh, a friend of mine from New York and she she is a real social person. She's really out there. She's not good at being on her own. She 
you know, is just always loud and proud and her name's Sally and she's wild. And anyway, she's come back to Australia and she got put into the government quarantining. Yeah. In Novotel for 14 days. And I tell you what, if there was anyone that was starting to flip down the drain, it was her. She was losing it. And I said to her on day three when she was, she said, lucky they're giving me, you know, paper knives and forks. She said, I'm just, just, she couldn't cope. Trust me, this is going to be a really special time for you. I said, you just need to, like you're going to be on you you you're going to get to know Sally, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and she did, she did, and and it's and it's just regardless of however um, much we want to fight it, uh, the universe is saying that we do indeed stop. I love it. I love that, mate, because it, it it's so true. It's like you know we put we're looking at the external. We live in this consumer driven fast-paced world we never off our phones and like you're saying very few people have gone and taken the time and done the work to actually get to know yourself you know we we want everything else we want to look after all these external things but never pause and get to know ourselves and that's ultimately what's going to make us happy and a better person so and I, I mean it is yeah it's like yeah like, i mean i i may be one of the reasons that i was so relaxed about it is because I, I couldn't actually keep up with myself. It was a little yeah. like, you know, sometimes I wake up in a hotel and it takes me a minute to know where I am. You know, when you're just cloudy and you wake up and you just go, um, like I, when I first got back to Australia, I kept waking up thinking that I was in Los Angeles and then I would, mm. that I'd actually come to Australia or, you know, it, waking up in Melbourne thinking that I'm in Sydney, not knowing what I'm on or whatever. And so I was really happy that I, because I'd been craving time to spend with myself and uh, it is scary. It's not always pretty getting to know yourself, but ultimately it is because you have to learn to embrace the things um, about yourself that you, 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 you wish were different or whatever you have to, you know, and I think one of the things that I've been learning is to be very, is to try and be kinder to myself. Yeah. Um, I've also continuously sort of been working on this other project, which I, which is the one thing that's actually continued through COVID. And so basically um, come uh, January when I, came to Australia and embarked on all these jobs. And, uh, you know, more in the last few years when I come to Australia, I, I mean, I was, I've been flying back and forth from the States. Like I think last year I flew across the Pacific, just across the Pacific 24 times, which was a record for me, I think. But I also flew around the world on top of that, like a few times. And um, the year before that was very similar and I was getting very used to just living out of a suitcase, having a lot of uh, shifting ground. And Mm, and, mm. uh, whenever I was in Australia, I had, um, you know, often had people reach out to me saying, well, you know, we should train and we should do this. And I'd sort of go, I just, I'm I'm only in Sydney for two days. Yeah, you just wouldn't. 
Don't have time, yeah. Family, I'll be in Melbourne yeah. for three days. I'll be in Perth for a day. And then I've got to go and perform in Brisbane and then I've got to fly back. And then I would come back and it would always be the same. Mm. So I knew that I was coming back to do Pack to the Rafters and I didn't realise how big my commitment would be for five bedrooms and that I was going to be there back and forth so much. I knew that the weekends I'd be in Adelaide, but I um, agreed to do this uh, transformation with men's health. And it was, it. I started it and it was really really hard <laughs> really really hard because a, I could I had no time to get into the gym um, but I was making time I was taking time to make time so that meant that I really didn't have any downtime at all because my days on back to the rafters was so long I'd start at 5 a.m and finish at 7 30 p.m and then go to the gym or if I had a later start, which would be like 8am. Then I'd go to the gym at 6am and I was trying, and then I was on this full on diet and Mm. very early on, I thought this is ridiculous. It's never going to work. But I stuck with it. And then uh, I knew that coming towards uh, after like about six weeks, packs the rafters would finish shooting. And then I would only be doing, five bedrooms and I could concentrate on men's health and also the performances in Adelaide would be finished. But then COVID happened. Yeah. (laughs) Not only did I have time to train, but I couldn't see a trainer. I couldn't leave. I couldn't go to a gym. And they said, they basically said, we understand if you just want to stop. I've come so far. I might, I think I want to try and do this. And I kept going and it was really, um, it, it created like, if, if it couldn't have been a more interesting journey between writing the film and then trying to achieve this, this 12 week challenge goal of a body transformation. Um, like, I mean, I, I definitely have challenged myself but um, I got through it and uh, the issue will be out now. <laughs> but it's, yeah. it's, um, it, it was a real struggle because my uh, instincts a lot of the time when you're on your own and you're in isolation is you do want to just like stay up late, watch Netflix. Yep. You lose like time sort of changes when you don't have these deadlines. But then I did have this deadline. Like I would wake up and think I have to train today and I have to do it myself. I can't rely on anyone else to do this. And, um, and it was really difficult sometimes. And then when I was getting really into the film, I felt that I was much more creative and I could write really well late at night. So I mm. was writing from like 10 p.m. till sometimes 5.30 a.m. Oh, well. So guilty because I'm like, I've stayed up all night writing and I, I'm supposed to be training and all this. And then I eventually was like, Hugh, you're insane. Like, you have to be kind to yourself. 
Yeah. Like you have to realize what's actually happening here and actually stop beating the drum of I should be doing this and I should be doing that. There, there are no rules as to what you should and shouldn't be doing. The main thing is that we're getting up and we're doing it. Even exactly. if you're not get like, you know what? Have a day in bed, have a few days in bed, whatever this time is for each individual person, it should be a time of complete non-judgment. You know, Absolutely. I think learning to be kind to myself has been a really big journey and learning to actually say to myself, you're doing a really good job and I'm really proud of you. You know, to yeah. look here and actually say that to yourself is so much harder than you think, but it's, I do now and I can say that and I don't feel guilty. I don't think we should shy away from actually congratulating ourselves every now and then and saying, you're doing the best that you can and that's okay. You don't, oh, for sure. man. You don't have to, you know, I said that in the interview for men's health, they said, oh, well, you know, how was it? Um, you know, going on this diet and quitting drinking and all that sort of thing. I said, look, I stuck to the diet pretty well, but I did cheat. I did. And every now and then I dipped into the chocolate and had like a whole block. Yeah. There's nothing more that I enjoy than having a glass of red wine while I'm watching Netflix and eating chocolate at the same time. And <laughs> tell you that was part of my routine, but it was also part of my mental health because you have to do what makes you happy and you can't deprive yourself from, from what you need. If that's the kind of person you are, like some people just get yep. out of going for a run and that's great. I'm not. That's why I challenged myself to do this transformation. And, um, it was hard and I, and I, you know, so I, I'm proud of, I'm proud of that, but I do want to get the message across to all of your listeners that you can achieve your goals, but without changing who you are, because you don't essentially need to change anything about yourself. It's your attitude towards yourself that needs to change. Yeah, it's it's so important, mate. And it's, you know, I, I struggle with that. You know, it's that constant inner critic saying, no, it's not enough. You need to do more. You need to do this. And it's such a universal thing. But ultimately... You've always been similar like that. I, I, yeah. I, I could, I've always seen that. It's sort of that, and but I mean, at the end of the day, the the reality is, if you follow that, you'll burn out, and you won't have the. You'll have more success if you actually can learn to just say, you know, trust yourself and say it's okay. You like what you're saying, you know, it's okay if I am having an off day or if I can only get this much done today. That's okay. I'm doing the best I can, and you know, otherwise you burn out and you lose creativity, and it's not fun anymore. Yeah, and and even if you don't, like even if you don't burn out and you keep going and you keep going but you're not enjoying it what's, what's the, the point, point? Exactly. Uh, exactly what's the point because i, I mean I was, who are you doing it for yeah it's like what's the point who am i yeah that that friend of mine sal it was in quarantine and she said oh she said i had so many plans to do all this stuff and she said i feel like i've done nothing and i said to her without even thinking i said i feel exactly the same and she said here you wrote a film <laughs> just done the cover of men's health he said what are you doing there and i went shit like i really uh, realized yeah. how how unconsciously my brain had gone back to negative talk because yeah. i was judging myself for having a glass of wine and eating 
carbs. And I'm like, yeah. what the hell? Like that is yeah. insane. That is insane. You know, yep. if you have a mind, and I know that there's lots of people that will be listening that will relate to this. If you have a mind that naturally goes to a critical place, you really have to keep in check because it's very clever. Yeah. Very clever brain. And it's not, it's not telling you the truth a lot of the time. And it can, and once you get in check and you tell it to shut up and you actually go, you know what? Shut up. You're awesome. You're doing a great job. It's a much, it's a much better way to, to live, you know, and, and it's, it's the only way. It's the only way. And it's, yeah, it's, it, it's just, oh, you, you know, as no matter how many times, I mean, you're, oh. you're doing the podcast and everything, but I know you and I, you know, and I'm saying all of this, but there's a very good chance that in half an hour, I'll say something negative. Oh, <laughs> I was about to say the same thing. Exactly. Exactly. It's a constant, it's a constant struggle, but you know what? We, we know too much now, you know? Yeah. And, the, and knowing it is the gift and it, all we have to do is keep in check. Absolutely. And that's all you can do. You know, no one's going to ever be perfect, but I think that's why, you know, that's why I'm doing this podcast. That's why it's so important. We have these conversations. It's just about education, letting everyone know that we're all in this together. We all, you know, we all have the same sort of positives and negatives we can fall into everyone. No, no one's perfect. And uh, the more we can talk about it, you know, like, yeah, what's that mean? What does perfect mean? It doesn't exist. It, it doesn't. doesn't. It doesn't. Perfection is, I think, you know, I actually think real perfection is actually just loving yourself for who you are because Agree. the truth is, there's, I guess maybe there's two kinds of perfection, really. There's perfection the way it is probably written in the dictionary but there should be another kind of definition written there. And that is exactly who you are right now. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. If you trust the universe, then you are perfect because you're right where you need to be. Even if you feel sad. Yep. Even if you are feeling sad, that is part of your perfection because it means yep. you and it means you're getting through it. You're going through it. Yeah. And, and reminding yourself, you know, it's actually okay to feel sad. It's okay. You know, it's like, it's actually normal. Right. I, yeah. I, I had been, you know, that's why I think I enjoyed writing the film so much because I, I kept crying while I was writing it. And I was like, thank God I'd wanted to cry for so long. I'm not, you know, like I will cry on an airplane watching a Pixar film. No worries. But when it comes to like, just really acknowledging stuff. There's a part of me that holds on and, and sometimes I'm like, just cry, like cry. Cause crying is such a release. It's, it's, it's a, healthy. Mm. It's so healthy. It's, I mean, it's, it's emotion that it's, it's your body's way of purging emotion. That's, uh, that's, that needs to go. Um, yeah. and, uh, and I love crying, but it, it, uh, I hadn't, for a long time and then I did, but it's, it's, you're right. It's part, it's perfection. It totally is. There's a place for it. There's yin and yang in everything. And that's, that's what life's about. 
Absolutely, and it's uh, goes. I'm, I'm going to ask you at the end, which I'm asking everyone a few questions at the end. One of them's about about happiness, with you know, which fits in with what you're talking about here. It's like we've been taught the definition of happiness is external, you know, what we acquire, status, money, fame, whatever. Um, and it's it's you know it's it's a wrong. We've been taught the wrong values uh, for how that's meant to be. Which I'll get to that when I ask you the question, but. Um, I guess to to summarize, and you've you've pretty much answered everything I wanted to ask you um, through what you've said already. Um, but I guess specifically in the entertainment industry as well. Um, I mean, what what message would you give to you know? Mental health is a big issue in in across all areas of entertainment. I think it's I can't remember the exact statistics. I think it's five times. It's either three three to five times higher. And it's already pretty high in you know everyday life. Like, what what message would you give people that are struggling with anxiety, uncertainty, you know, all the things that come with you know being in that industry? Unfortunately, the reason that that's higher is because, um, and it's not just because you're mental to want to go into entertainment. It's because <laughs> it's because to be an entertainer, first of all, I I really do believe. You know, I I knew that I wanted to be an actor since I was five years old before that I wanted to be a singer apparently I don't remember that I mean but but I feel like most of the time entertainment uh is is a calling you know I really do believe that if you go back to ancient times every ancient tribe like the Native American Indians even uh the aboriginal cultures and everything they all had uh, sort of storytellers, or as the Native Americans called it, the Hayoka. And the Hayoka was, it was a calling. And that person was the storyteller that would pass on the stories of from thousands and thousands of years that would tell tales to explain to people how and why and what to feel. And it sort of even goes into mm. like what, what became religion with priests doing the same sort of thing um, in all different churches. They're kind of, they're storytellers. The Bible is a story. And the reason people I think are called to be entertainers is because they already have a disposition to emotion where they're a little bit more attached. They potentially a lot more empathetic Um they feel things. You do feel things. I mean, I, it's, and it's hard to cut off from that. And then top it off, entertainment industry is very tough. Like mm-hmm. doing auditions, like doing a job interview, and sometimes we have to do it day after day. I mean, if people had any idea how many auditions where it was down to me and like Chris Pine or me and Eddie Redmayne or whatever like that, and, you know, and yeah. I'm sitting there going, I'm never going to get this role. But it's still, it's like the heartbreak and the aching and the, the hopes and the what if, and it's crush, crush, crush. It can be a yeah. bit like to, have, to be an empathetic, emotional person and then be put into an industry that actually is built on criticism and cutting you down and judging uh, is very, very difficult. There, there is very little way around around like it you know people will always say it it takes a lot to to stick with the entertainment industry 
And I 100% agree. But I also say, what an amazing gift. What a great yeah. What a great challenge. I have parents say to me sometimes, um, my child wants to be an actor or a singer or whatever, and what should I do? Because they're worried that they're not going to be employed. And I say, I'll tell you what you should do. Put them into classes. Support mm-hmm. them. Build them up. And young people that say to me, I would like to work as an actor, I say, it's really tough, but I tell you what, it is the best job in the world changes every day sometimes you meet assholes there's a lot of them out there but there's assholes in every industry and god love them bless them (laughs) i enjoy that as well but i also meet the most divine kind beautiful funny people as well that just with the biggest open hearts actors are resilient and so are singers and all entertainers they're resilient kind people because for them to make it, they've had to endure all that hell. And that's often what makes them so, so brilliant. So I basically, I'm trying to sum, sum it up by just saying, stick with it because it's a calling and it's, it's really tough. But if you recognize the heartache and the challenges and the day-to-day challenges that we have to overcome as actually being gifts uh, because you overcome them. Yep. You think what a great life. What, how much am I growing? Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, I love it. And you know, that what you just said applies to anyone that, you know, if you, we all know in our gut what you know what really moves us and makes us you know where our heart wants to go and it applies to anything you want to do in life and i think so many of us get sidetracked from that because of the rejection or whatever comes about it but it is it's looking at it from that perspective of well this is rejection you know is just going to give me more perspective and it's going to build me up more i'm going to have more resilience and if i keep following this it's not just about the outcome it's like look at all these amazing experience that, experiences that come out of it. Look at, you know, what, you're, what you've experienced. You know, you're living all over the world. Like you're saying, you don't know where you're going to be, what's going to happen, who you're going to meet, what you're going to come across. And that's a pretty beautiful way to live life. And, and that's like I said, like you said, you know, they're changing every day, the, the flying and all that sort of thing. Some, you know, people say to me, they go, do you get over travel and all this sort of thing? And you know what? I, I do. I even actually realised at one point I um, started to develop this condition called travel anxiety where I would... And I, I had to work out where it came from because it was, it was really random. I was in New York and I was coming back to Australia and I was totally fine, like completely fine. Mm. I was staying at the standard, I was packing up and I was excited to go home. And then all of a sudden I just had this massive wave of anxiety about leaving, getting on the plane, everything. And I just couldn't, I just, I didn't know where it came from or what was going on. And, um, and I realized that I was starting to hate saying goodbye to people all the time and saying goodbye to places and that potentially I needed to slow down a bit and try and find a stronger 
home base somewhere, wherever that would be, where I could, I mean, I'm a Cancerian, so I need uh, like a, a, like my shell. I need to know where my things are and all mm. that. So, um, but at the same time, it's also a massive, massive gift. And I, and that's, it's the same thing. It's where I need to catch myself out. Every time I feel tired about going to an airport, I remind myself that there are thousands of people that have never been on an airplane. And when I was in India last year, I was staying at this beautiful ashram and I met all these amazing people and I was talking to them and, and the common uh, thread of what all these uh, gorgeous people that I met there were most curious about was being on an aeroplane and flying away. And I just thought, you know, we're so blessed in Australia and and just the life we had. But I, I will never forget, you know, as a, as a kid, I mean, I used to fly from LA to New York. I could be sitting in 72F but happy as anything just to be on that plane and getting out of there. And you have to remind yourself, you know, you have to remember you can't lose the joy. Otherwise yeah. you do lose the joy. You can't. It's our responsibility to keep in check in our own minds and say, you know what? Life's pretty good. Absolutely. And India does give that to you. You know, I went over there as well. And, and also, you know, this experience, what, what better time to really get that perspective on just looking at what we're grateful for. Totally. I mean, um, apart from yeah. that, I think I've become a bit agoraphobic because I love just sitting in my apartment all the time. <laughs> I was like, how am I going to get on an airplane ever again? But yeah. then, then it's also made me miss, you know, America so much and, and, the rest of the world and Italy, you know, I was so looking forward to going back there this summer and maybe I can't now, but just to, you know, I think we're, I think there's a lot of positives that have come out of this. And even if they're, they're not completely, even if they seem like negatives where we're like, you know, God, we can't travel to Italy or we can't do this. It's like, also how much do you miss it? I think, oh, yeah. I think people have been wanting to travel more than ever knowing that they can't. Yeah, and we'll... A restaurant. I just want to go to a restaurant and order dinner. <laughs> exactly. Just being able to, you know, walk and sit in a cafe and have a coffee and, you know, talk to a stranger. I miss all that. Like Your friends and go out and dance with them and kiss people and, you know, like it's, it's there's a lot of things that I miss and... And it's great to to have perspective to know how much I actually loved that. Absolutely, and you know, for granted. And we'll appreciate it more, you know, when it comes back. So, uh, look, I just have a couple of quick questions that that I finish up with. So, just you know, simple answers to these ones. They can be whatever comes to mind. It's a few quick questions. Um, first one is: What's best childhood memory? My best childhood memory. Oh, goodness me. I mean, there's probably a few, but whatever, yeah. You know what? I mean, I'll, I've got, yeah, I, I mean, I do have a few. I've got lots of funny ones. But what I, what I can say uh, easily is, you know, when you're doing a meditation and they always say, go to your happy place. Yep. And I will always have strong fond memories of growing up in South Australia and we would go to this beach called Aldinga, Aldinga beach. And the sand and in, 
Adelaide or South Australia, you know, the temperature gets very, very hot. Um, you know, these days it's now getting up to like 47 degrees Celsius in the city in you know, February. It's really, it's the hottest city. It's the hottest city in the world now. Um, in the, in the driest city in the driest state, the driest continent in the world. And, um, I always remember as a child running across because there was a long distance between the start of the beach and where the water was and the sand was so hot and the wind would be whipping the, your legs, like whipping it. And I would race, my little feet would just be going, just trying to get to that cold water all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But feeling so happy about the fact that I was just about to get into the ocean. I could never wait. And every time a meditation or someone says, go to your happy place, that's where I go. You can just tap straight into that. I, I love that. I love that. Hear my feet on the sand. You've given me a good vision of it. So next one, mate. Um, what do you think is the biggest burden on mental health in society today? Uh, well, that's easy. Um, the massive burden on mental health is pressure. Yep. Uh, and that's why I enjoyed talking to you today about the fact that, um, you know, even though people will be looking at uh, maybe me on the cover of Men's Health or something like that, the most important thing is for them to not look at it and think, oh, that's easy or that's easy for him. People always, you know, I get, I get it, it's pressure because the reason people say that is because they feel like they feel pressure to try and be like this person or that. Like exactly. It, it's tall, tall poppy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but Instagram is also setting really unrealistic um, goals for people. That's why I said in the interview, I said, look, yeah, I drank and whatever. Like it was hard. Yes. I ate carbs when I shouldn't have. Yes. I would sit down and eat a block of chocolate. I yeah, don't yeah. care. Cause I don't want people to think there is so much pressure to be this person that is like it's perfect. Human. Yeah. You know, I ate a carrot for breakfast. <laughs> like or even even worse people that post photos where they're eating a tub of ice cream and they're basically like it's you know tiny super fit sort of like it's it's we put too much pressure there's too much striving there's not enough appreciation of where you are yeah it's just i could never have gotten to where i am right at this second if I didn't start to love myself the way I was. Yeah. It's just honesty, isn't it? It's, you know. The only reason I even signed up to do the men's health thing is because I actually just felt like giving myself, I, I wanted, I honestly looked at my, myself and my body image, which I was fine with. I was completely fine with it, but I thought I can do better. I'm 34 and it's a good time for me to, to to actually just challenge myself yeah but i was i wasn't doing it because i felt like i i needed to do it to be like everyone else or something like that which is yeah absolutely i i think society is putting too much pressure on and and that is the biggest mental health issue you know it's 
we're taught that we can't feel lonely. We're taught that we can't, that we have to have heaps of friends, that we have to be living this crazy life that's sort of unachievable. And uh, I mean, it's, it's not unachievable. I do believe that you can actually have everything that you want, but when you're feeling down and it, it's very hard to see the light and to understand that. And I wish that the media would uh, spend more time talking about how to encourage people to feel happy. And I think that that's one of the reasons people are called to be entertainers, because if there's one thing that I love about my job, it's seeing people when I'm on stage and they're happy and I can make yeah. people laugh. And then I always say that in every show that I do all my live shows, I say, I just want you to forget about everything for a while. Come with me. Let's just have a laugh. Yeah. Just be present for a bit. <clears throat> turn up turn off everything else and um where where do you see all of this in 10 years time do you see uh it getting better or worse would you do you think which um mental health or ment- where do you see mental health in 10 years yeah um i absolutely have a very 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 strong faith uh that that even what you're doing right now the messages that I keep continuously trying to put out, the film that I just wrote, yeah. I feel like we are in a very good place. And I feel like very, very soon, more and more people are waking up every day and realising that we have to talk about each other. We have to talk about our friends. We have to talk about how we feel. Celebrities need to stop pretending that their life is perfect mm. and they need to start talking about the shit bits. Yeah. You know, like you have sure. to, that's <clears throat> the only way is to well, talk they've... about the shit bits. How much more would people love Donald Trump actually if he just came out and made a speech and said, I'm having a really hard time. Just show some vulnerability. Yeah. I'm really upset by what you guys are saying. <laughs> I didn't sleep last night. I'm doing the best that I can. I didn't really want this. Milana hates me. I'm just really struggling. I know. It's just, yeah. Actually, seriously imagine how quickly that would be a huge turnaround if he was honest for one minute. Yep. Because I'm sure it's very hard being him. People would believe it. People would never believe that because he puts on a front saying, I'm rich, I'm powerful, I hate you all and I can kill you all. (laughs) the truth is he's a human being and deep down he's probably quite an insecure little boy in there and um i'm not saying that i feel sorry for him in any way because he's not using his power to do any of that he's using Mm. it fear-mongering which i disagree with um in a huge way but i'm just saying if people in power will start to turn the table, uh, things will get easier. But you know what? It doesn't even need to be people in power. It's just as simple as stopping. You see someone at a coffee shop or something like that who's upset. It's literally sometimes the tiniest words. It's like that man giving me a coffee that day when I'd only had three hours sleep. I didn't feel great. 
I was sad. He handed me a coffee and I went, my life is great. Someone's looking after me. The small things, yeah. It's like the littlest things, but kindness is coming back. Kindness is cool. And I really do believe that the whole world is on, on a huge turn. I think COVID's a big part of that. Yeah. I love the fact that we're all having time to stop, look, smell the roses, whether you like it or not. And, uh, and, and I, think, I think we're in a good spot. I, think I love it. Time, it. It'll be hopefully a lot more embedded in the education system. Agree, agree talking more about feelings and less about maths. Yeah, so important. So important, mate. Um, so two, two more, two final ones. Um, what would be your personal definition of happiness? Um, actually, you know, the last few days I've had really good days and you just, I think my definition of happiness is just recognising it when it's there. Mm. Because happiness is so often there, but we get a little lost in thoughts of the future or what we have to do, or even worse, we start thinking about the past and things that we regret. But actually, happiness is just that quiet little voice that's sitting there, a little emotion that's actually there all the time, but if we don't recognise it. She's got some good advice there. No, I, I love that, mate. That's really good. It's made me made me feel good hearing that. So, th- yeah, thank you for sharing it. And um, final one, um, most courageous thing you've ever done. I'm sure there's lots of them, but... Um... The most courageous thing that I've ever done was... The most courageous thing that I've ever done, and it was actually the anniversary yesterday. I know this will be... Um, actually, it's the anniversary today for me. Um, was when my little brother went missing in Nepal and um, I, it was the anniversary of the earthquake yesterday, obviously for the listeners, this is recorded slightly different time. And uh, yeah, I'll never, I'll never forget how awful that was waking up and finding out that there'd been an earthquake and he was on Mount Everest. And, and I, uh, I booked a ticket that day straight away I went home and I kneeled and I I prayed I couldn't stop crying because I just felt like he was more than likely dead because where he was was the where he was supposed to be was the hardest hit and every everyone there reportedly had died the thing about Mount Everest is when you start to trek up you have no connection with uh, with the outside world so we didn't know that he'd actually chosen a different route Thank God. His angels were after him and uh, it wasn't his time. But I didn't know and I booked a ticket to go straight away that morning to fly to Kathmandu that night. And everybody kept saying to me, you know, uh, there are experts going there, like leave it to the rescuers and stuff. And I said, no, I only have to find one person. I need to find my brother. And even if I'm going to get his body, I'm going to bring it home and I'm going to find him. And I said, regardless of whether he's dead or alive, I want him to know that I came to get him and that someone Mm. came straight away. And it was really difficult because someone um, in the media, I can't remember his name, a real asshole on TV. He, uh, oh, I wish I could remember his name. 
I, oh, I'm glad that I can't remember his name because he's so insignificant to me. But it was it was yeah. the nastiest thing in the world because he was on morning television. He hosted Deal or No Deal, so they'd know who he was. But he yeah. made a statement trying to say that I was getting publicity out of my brother's disappearance in Nepal. And that was... That's shocking. It, That's, was, yeah. it, was the, it was the first time I ever really felt Australia... I felt how, how brutal and, and disgusting people can be to, yeah. to think that, that he could even insinuate that. And it hurt me a lot. And it hurt me to come back to Australia. It made me, it, it upset me for such a long time. And then I was turning 30 not long after that. And I'd sort of withdrawn a lot and I, and I was suffering. I didn't know at the time, but I had post-traumatic stress disorder from the whole ordeal because, um, you know, in the end I went there and I was digging in Kathmandu and I dug up dead bodies and wow. it, it took years for my, my little brother's still sort of getting over it. And, and, and the struggle has been real for both of us. Uh, but I love the fact that I did it. And when my 30th birthday came around, you know, I thought I didn't feel like I could have a party or anything. So I did a big fundraiser for Nepal instead. I called it a night for Nepal and I got all my friends to come perform. It was at the Art Centre in Melbourne. And um, just like everything else, I just got through it. Mm. But um, you just... I'm, I'm glad that I did it. I always used to joke and say, oh, people don't like me because I'm practical. But uh, one thing I really learned through that whole experience, one of the many things was um, that I'm very good in an emergency. Yeah. As soon as I knew that that had happened, I booked and I flew. And um, even though it was all reported and heavily covered and it was how... I did it and I went there and I helped and I'm glad that I did and I and I don't regret anything. Yeah, mate. It's a well no, thank you for sharing that as well. It's a, it's a pretty I remember um seeing seeing it and it's amazing to hear that and probably not not many people would go and, you know, make those split decisions like what you did and it it's a pretty amazing thing and Yeah, think I, of, I never had any quit like for me yeah. Felt like the natural thing to do, but I think one of the things uh, about that sort of that because it's sort of very weird and unusual thing to happen is, is you don't really know what you would do until you were in that situation. Sure, sure. Uh, but I think I like to think that most people would have the same reaction that I did, where if you feel that someone that you love might be in trouble and you don't care how far away they are or how dangerous. It is. You just want to go and find them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, mate, um, thank you so much for having this chat today. I really appreciate it. Huge amount of respect for you, mate, and love what you do and wish we could see each other more. I'm sure we will in the future. And, yeah, thank you again, mate. <laughs> of course, always. All right. Lots of love to you and thank you for having me. Thanks so much, mate. Cheers. This episode of Move Your Mind was produced and edited by Tim Boozer. Thanks to Hugh Sheridan for joining me today for Move Your Mind.
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.